0: The Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Thank you. Does anyone have on their phone the U Version Bible app? No one? Okay. Can, can you open it? Have you opened it this morning? I'm on, a, I'm on a streak of 31 at the moment. No, that's all right. No, I don't want you to tell you the streak. Just tell me what today's Bible verse is. Now, I didn't plan that. Um, I read it this morning, Joshua 1, 1-9, and guess what I'm preaching from today? Joshua 1, verses 1-9. So um, I thought that was quite cool, actually. Um, but that's good. So anyway, my name's Peter Foster. I have uh, you met Jocelyn? How long have I got? No, you, no, you better tell me because, mate, we got the gift of the gab, us Fosters. No, we'll be all right. Hey, um, so my name's Peter Foster. You've met Jocelyn. She's, she's the second best thing that's happened to me. The the best thing that's happened to me was I was born. But um, no, nah. you're yeah, born again. Uh, we, have, um, we have two children, we've got Jordan. Jordan um, Jordan is married to Danielle, and Jordan and Danielle, they work at Wintech. Jordan is a lecturer at Wintech in, in Hamilton. They live in Kiki, because that was a better, cheaper place to buy a house than in Hamilton. So uh, we, were, we only travelled from there this morning, actually, rather than a, than a Hopi beach. They have their first child in November so um, we're, we're waiting anxiously for that. So that's Jordan. Jordan and Danielle are part of Te Rautini Church, which is where some of your children go to. Um, and he's part of the music team there and um, loves it there. And they have a great time there. We've got another son called Caleb. Caleb and Kaylee. Caleb is married to Kaylee. They have a four year old called Cooper and they have a bulldozer called Hannah. She's um, 18, 18 months. She's 18 months. She is a bulldozer. She just bulldozes the house. You should see once they've been in our house, she's, the place is, place is chaos. She's, they're, they're, they're both lovely. Um, Kaylee is uh, Nāti Paro, but Whangai to Tainui. So her mountain is Taupuri. Yeah. So so little Cooper and all that is Taupuri. So um so that's uh that's Kaylee. They live in Edgecombe, which is just out of uh Whokutane. You know Ejkem, don't you? Where, did you live in Edgecombe? No, you didn't live no. So they lived in they live in Edgeham. Caleb is the youth advisor for the Fawketani City Council. So his boss is someone called Judy Turner, who's the mayor, who happens to be related to your, to Jenny over here. So, um, Jenny's sister. Yeah, and Kaylee. Kaylee is a primary school teacher. Um, as uh, As Murray said, I have two brothers. I'm in the middle of two brothers. I've got an older brother called Greg Foster. Greg has spent many years um, overseas with um, a few mission organisations and um, Habitat for Humanity in Europe and in South Africa, came back to New Zealand. Him and his wife came back to New Zealand about five or six years ago and he's currently head of the Salvation Army social housing arm. So they're the ones that are building houses all over New Zealand for, for social housing. And then I've got a younger brother who's been pretty famous over the last month who uh, happens to be the, the All Blacks coach. I think he should be paying at least half his salary to his family because of the stress that we have to cope with. And it looks like it ain't going away. So it'll stay there and we'll be stressed again next Saturday as they play Argentina. But um, I was born in Patararu so Waikato blood runs through me. I still support Waikato rugby. I still support Chiefs, Chiefs rugby. And so um, if anyone says where you're from, even though I haven't lived here for many, many years, I'm, uh, I'm a Waikato boy at heart. And uh, I love the area and I love the place. In saying that, a Hopi Beach is where we live. And we're kind of 60 seconds from the ocean, so... Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of. Carapiro, Hopi Beach. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. So it's great to be here. I was meant to be here a few weeks ago, but on the Saturday before coming, we were having I I I had this cold and it kept hanging around, and Joss has had a cold and a bit of a cough, and um and friends of ours rang from Taurong and said, hey, we'll come over on Saturday night and watch the rugby with you. And I felt a little bit guilty because the last two days the cold had turned to a runny nose. And I thought, oh, I better, better have a COVID test. So I had a COVID test on the Saturday morning and I was positive. So then I had to ring Jenny and say, can't come, I'm isolating. So I think I'm over that now. So, so here I am now. What I want to share with you today, and by, by the way, one of the things that the Baptist Union of New Zealand I I don't think it's in crisis mode, but it's getting close to crisis mode. And that is people hearing the call of God to become pastors, where they're rare as hen's teeth these days. And so what you've done with Mark and Juliet hearing that is such a cool thing. Not only that, as I I don't want to predict what their age is, but I reckon they're under thirty-five, uh, and that's so cool to get young people coming through, and so so that's that's a delightful thing and a great thing to see. So so well done, church. Today I want to share with you more of a story that has inspired me. Um, wrap it up in a sermon, and I want to kick off by sharing this. This passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 1, as I mentioned before. Let's, so let's, re- let's read this passage. Now, I want to do something with you. I want, to f- I want you to forget that you've ever read this passage before. Okay? As though this is the very first time. And I want you, as I read it, I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Okay? I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't know how to do that, Peter. Just, I reckon whatever pops into your mind as I read this, I'd like to suggest that it's the Holy Spirit just popping something into your mind. So let's, let's, let's read it. I'll face this way and read it. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, My servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, to the Israelites. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, as I promised to Moses. For the wilderness and the Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea in the west, shall be your territory. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very contagious, courageous, and contagious. Yeah, see, pick that one up. That was the Lord. Nah being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for your for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, I I, I don't want to hear, hear a sermon because that's why I'm here. Briefly, what comes to your mind? It's not rhetorical. Amazing, Amazing God was with Moses. Yep. Sorry. I felt you felt protection. Yep, just from reading that passage. Cool. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's kind of this. Yep, yep. Cool. Anything else comes to mind? Everything mine, go out and do it? Yep. Cool. Sorry. Stepping up? Stepping up. God's in control of everything? Yep. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a direct command. What's your problem? I, l- I love that direct command that he says to uh, Joshua, Moses is dead. Well, are you going to give me a bit of time to grieve that? Are you Are going to give me something, you know? I'm feeling sad about it. Now you go. You do it. Yeah. I'm sure there was times of grief and all that sort of stuff. Anything else? He had the anointing that Moses had was now passed on to Joshua. Yep. Cool. Feeling fear, but do not be afraid. Yep. Invincibility. Yeah. Yep. Where God leads, he provides. Cool. Cool. One more. Don't be discouraged or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. Thanks, Murray. The reason I did that and got you to respond to it is secondary to my sermon. And I want to tell you why I do that. I reckon we need to, as Juliet said today on the thing, I reckon we need to read the Scripture a whole lot more. And I reckon we need to read the Scripture a whole lot more, just you and the Scripture, without a commentary, without David Jeremiah or Joyce Myers or anyone else giving you an interpretation of what the Scripture is. I reckon we need to read the Scripture... And we need to say, Lord, how are you speaking to me today? I think we as followers of Jesus, and I'm pushing against my own thing, and I'm not pushing against sermons because I think there's a place for sermons and there's a place for commentaries and there's a place for all that. But I think we need to learn to hear the voice of God for ourselves as we read the Scripture. And the reason I ask you to do something which is impossible, pretend you've never read this scripture before, is because often as you read it, you will go back to how someone else may have interpreted that scripture. Because guess what? We always want the right answer. And as soon as we have a right answer for a passage of scripture, we've now defined God within a boundary. And so um, I want to encourage you, to just read the scripture now in saying that I'm going to give you a sermon based on the scripture so God comes to Joshua on the border of the new land they've been in the wilderness for 40 years Moses has gone and as we've mentioned before the mantle of leadership goes from Moses to Joshua and God does his thing Joshua you're now in charge we know it's going to be a tough task. We know it's going to be a tough task because of hindsight, we know the story. But if that's the only passage that we have, we know it's going to be a tough task. God doesn't say it is, but he says this, be strong and courageous. Whenever you hear that, you think, mm, maybe, maybe there's something coming up around the way where you've got to have a little bit of strength and, and, and courage and all that. We know that Joshua probably feels a little daunted by it. We know that the Israelites are probably nervous and very unsure as they move from what has become a comfort zone for them. Now, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, often when we read that story, we think that they're probably pretty unsettled in the wilderness for 40 years. We probably think, oh, there's something else coming. There's something else coming. I'm not sure they're thinking that. For a lot of those people, that was the only home that they knew. knew. And they're probably sitting in the wilderness thinking, oh, this is our life. This is our lot. We're getting fed. We've probably started to do some cultivation. If they were able to do cultivation, they would have started setting up some systems to make their life a little bit more comfortable and all that sort of stuff. And now God was coming to them after 40 years and saying, move on. I think sometimes we think that would be easy for the Israelites. But put you in that situation. If you've lived in one house for 40 years or one town for 40 years and God comes to you and says, right, move on. It's not easy, eh? I don't think it's easy. And so there was this whole sense of stuff going on that was simply crazy. But for God, this was the working out of the plan that has been put in place many, many years before. And for Joshua, this was something that he knew a little bit of the plan. You see, Joshua going into this new land was not new for him, eh? Who was, When did Joshua go into the land? he had gone into the land 40 years beforehand. Joshua was one of the spies, If you, those of you that don't know the story. God comes after, the, after they go through, the, through the, the seas parted, they go to the sea. God, they're sitting down there and they send, um, Moses sends how many spies? Twelve spies. I keep thinking ten, it's twelve, eh? Twelve spies into the land, go spy out the land. And so these 12 spies go in, they spy out this new land, the same land 40 years that God was sending them to, and they, they come back. Ten of them come back and they say this, we've got a problem, Houston. We've got an issue. What's the issue? The issue is, is it's a cool-looking place. There's lots of you know, it's places flowing with, with honey and produce and all that sort of stuff. But what our problem is, is there's some big people in there and they look pretty tough and there's no way our scrawny lot are going to be able to cope in that place. We need to just stay where we are or even let's just go back and become a slave. And then there was two people called Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua, one of the most famous... My favorite story. That's why our youngest son's called Caleb, is from Caleb. Don't call your kid Caleb from the Bible. It calls you strife, man. Man, man, we're paying for that one, eh, honey? <sighs> no, he's a good fella. But man, he's just looking at possibilities all the time. I can't keep up with him. He's a good dude. But Caleb and Joshua come in and they say, Guess what we saw? We saw produce, we saw milk and honey, we saw grapes the size of basketballs, we saw all the stuff, and guess what? We saw some really big people, and they were scary. But if God is on our side, I think we could do something about it. And so Joshua had been there. He He knew that what he was getting himself into. He knew how he was going to have to lead his people into this place. And we know the story that Joshua leads the people in there and they have moments of disobedience. They have moments of excitement. They have moments of downtime. There were times when they had to walk around a city for seven days and then it fell down and then God told them not to take any of the treasures from any of the cities that they They plundered and some of them did and there was disobedience and there was all sorts of stuff carrying on and all that sort of stuff. And right through it all, though, you see Joshua, what does Joshua do? He stands strong and courageous through the whole thing, through the whole thing. And God reiterates again, know that I am with you in that passage. Know that I will not fail you. That's what I promise. That is what I want from you. All I want you to do is to be strong and courageous. So God was not just giving them the land. He was saying, I'm going to be with you. This is what I want you to do. But I do want you to do one thing. And that one thing is just to be strong and to take courageous steps. And so Joshua did. Now this story this theme of strength and courage starts from the beginning of Scripture and continues all the way through to Revelation and continues all through the history of the church and it continues all through Christendom. We would not be where we were today without strong and courageous people like William Carey, like Spurgeon, like Wesley, like all these, all, all these people. Strength and courage. And Jesus even picks up on this thing. I've said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. Jesus says, do not fear. Only believe. It doesn't use the word strength and courage, but you can read it in there, can't you? Do not fear. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Paul continues the same thing time and time again. He reminds us in the letters to the churches, take courage, be strong in Christ, take a step, move out of your comfort zone. And that's the call of Christ upon us. Get involved, take a leap. Don't sit in the pews, but show some courage. That's what you guys have done in the past. That's what you guys will do in the future. That's what we need to continue to do. Whenever I think of Murray and Jenny, I think of the courageous steps they have, and they won't even want me saying that. They've worked here for eight years, plus their other business, plus their other business. What strength and courage to do that. And I honour you too for the sacrifice that you have made for the people of God and for his kingdom. And we're here today because of courageous steps. Someone, I don't know how many, how old's this church? Anyone know? How long? No, Huntley Baptist, been in Huntley. Anyone know? 60 something years, 60 years. So 60 years ago, anyone here 60 years ago? You were here at the opening. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your strength. You got married 48 years ago in here? Yep, down this aisle? The strength and courage of a group of people that said, we need a Baptist church in Huntley. Man, that's strong. That's strength. Anyway, let's not. Uh, Okay, okay. Way to go, team. Strength and courage. But I also want to take <coughs> this opportunity to say to you that your job's not finished yet. In God's economy, you'd have to say it may not even have, it's only just starting. And one of the greatest opportunities that you have, not so much as a group of people, is as individual, And that opportunity is as individuals. And it's simple. And this, I think one of the greatest opportunities we have to see people come into the kingdom, to become part of the church, is really, really simple. It's this, allow people to get to know you. And I think in today's environment, it is one of the most courageous things to do, is to allow people to get to know you, and so I want to share a story with you—an inspiring story of someone and what he, this person, has done. How are we going for time? Shivers. How what this person has done. So I want to share you a story about this guy here, Daryl Davis. I don't know where Daryl Davis stands when it comes to be a follower of Jesus, but I know a few things about Daryl Davis from the story that I've heard from him. He's a blues jazz musician. He's around about 64 years old now. And I and I reckon as you read as I tell you the story, you will start to see his courage. In fact, this guy has got massive courage. So much courage that it, I mean it just inspires me. One of the most courageous people that I've heard about in the last while. As a 10-year-old, he was caught up in a in a pre-civil rights protest in the town that he lived in would have been in the 60s or the late 60s early 70s so the civil rights some of you may not know you know what I mean by the civil rights movement in America so he was walking down the footpath while this protest was going on and someone came up to him grabbed him by the arm and said something nasty to him and uh, at 10 years old this was seated into in, in his soul in his mind this question why is it that people hate me when they do not know me. That's what, that was seated in his mind as a 10-year-old. And as, as he grew, as he got into his teenage years and, and uh, college years and all that, that question changed to why is it that the color of my skin determines what people think about me before they even know who I am? So this is, this, is, this is what happened. And these questions sat with him for many, many years until 1983. And in 1983, he was playing in a bar. Um, I'm not sure what, what the town was, where, where he was, but he was playing in a bar. And he said in this interview that it was an all-whites bar. Now, you need to understand that in 1983, it was illegal in America to have an all-whites bar. But he said, believe me, it was an all-whites bar. And so he was playing. And after he'd finished playing, he went to the bar to get himself a drink. And as he got this drink, a man came up to him and said, I love the way that you play music. I love how you sing. Come and sit with my friends and let's talk about your music. And so Daryl Davis says, yeah, I'll do that. So he goes and he sits around this table with a bunch of guys and they start talking about music, start talking about R&B, they start talking about life. And one of the guys beside the one that invited him started probing him with his elbow and said, are you going to tell him are you going to tell him? And so he turns to Darryl Davis and says, look, we just want to tell you that we're all part of the local Ku Klux Klan chapter. So Daryl Davis was sitting there amongst Ku Klux Klan members talking about rhythm and blues music. And fear came across Daryl Davis, but he believed he didn't show it. He didn't move. He just stayed there and kept talking. And he said the discussion wasn't violent. The discussion wasn't even kind of racist in any way. We just talked. At the end of the day... The guy said to Daryl Davis as they were leaving, I love your music, I love the way you sing. Every time you come to this bar, can you please contact me because I'd love to come and listen to you sing. And so every six weeks or three months or so, Daryl Davis would give this guy a phone call and he would come along and listen to him in the bar, they'd have a drink afterwards and, and, and off he goes. And this is what Daryl Davis would do. Strong and courageous, I reckon. So he started to build a relationship with this guy. But not only did he start to build a relationship with this guy, he started to think about the Ku Klux Klan. And he got all the books that he could on the Ku Klux Klan, found out that every book in the Ku Klux Klan was written by, guess what? What demographic? No, a white male. Every book on the Ku Klux. So he said, I'm going to write a book on the Ku Klux Klan. So for me to write a book on the Ku Klux Klan, I need to get into the higher echelons of the Ku Klux Klan, start to talk to people about the Ku Klux Klan. So he thinks, what I'll do is I'll go around to my mate's place and see if he can get me connected. So he goes and knocks on his mate's place. I think it's the first time he goes around his mate's door. The mate open, opens the door and does that thing where he looks surprised and looks past him, you know. Who's walking past as a black man's entering my house? He says, Daryl, come in, come in. What do you want? And Daryl Davis says to him, I'm going to write a book on the Ku Klux Klan. No, they'll kill you. Yeah, no, no, I'm going to write a book on the Ku Klux Klan. I want you to help me. And he says, well, how can I help you? I said, I want you to give me the names of the people who I can go and talk to who know quite a bit about the Ku Klux Klan. And the guy says, you can't do it. He says, Daryl Davis says, I am going to do it. I want to do it. And the guy says, well, I can't help you. And he says, well, why can't you help me? He says, because a week ago, I resigned from the Ku Klux Klan. And I've just returned all my robes, and all I've got to return now is my mask. And Darrell Davis says, "Why well, you have to return your robes. Don't you pay for it? Oh, he said, oh, you buy it on HP. And so they want it back because I've resigned and I've just got to return the mask. So Daryl Davis says to him, well, you tell me where I've got to return the mask and I'll do it for you. Strong and courageous. And then Daryl Davis says to him, the most profound thing, he says, why have you left the Ku Klux Klan? And the guy looks at Daryl Davis and he says this, I left the Ku Klux Klan because I got to know you. I left the Ku Klux Klan because I got to know you. Daryl Davis was inspired by that. And he said, well, that's really good. I'm still going to write my book, though. So eventually, he got the name of someone. And so Daryl Davis decided to engage on this venture of writing a book. And I don't even know if he's written the book. I need to go in and see if there's a book written by Daryl Davis. Some of you might be able to do it now. And, uh, and he goes on this adventure, and he appoints a secretary And he says to the secretary, what I want you to do is I want you to ring up this guy here and organize an interview with him in a motel room. But he said, I can't do the ringing up because they'll know what color I am by my voice. You know, he's got that rhythm and blues. You can tell kind of what, what his voice may be like, you know. And so the lady rings up. And this guy says, yeah, I'll have an interview. So they go to this motel, and Daryl Davis says, I want us to be hospitable with these people, so please, to the secretary, can you organise some soda drinks and all that sort of stuff and something for us to eat. And so Daryl Davis is sitting in the motel room. Their secretary's in the motel room, and there's a knock on the door. Daryl Davis goes and opens the door, and there in front of him is the bodyguard of the kingpin of this particular Ku Klux Klan. Guess what the bodyguard's got on him? He's armed to the hilt. He's got a machine semi on there. He's got got guns in his patches. And he looks and sees Daryl Davis and turns to the guy behind him. There's shock on their face. And the guy says, nah, let's go in. So they go in. And the main guy sits on this table. And Daryl Davis sits opposite him. And Daryl Davis says, can I tape this interview? And the guy says, yeah, okay. And so he pulls out a tape recorder, and then he pulls out a Bible and puts a Bible on the table. And the guy says, why have you got a Bible for? Daryl Davis says, because somehow through this conversation, I reckon you're going to give me some Christian basis for racism. And when you do, I'm going to ask you to point to the Bible where it says it. Strong and courageous? The guy, the bodyguard, stands beside him. This secretary is on the bed sitting on the bed behind them you can imagine a kind of a motel standardized motel room and they start this conversation and it continues and it continues and it continues to go guess what happens they start to like each other guess what happens daryl davis starts to get to know this guy outside the motel room guess what happens daryl davis starts to meet this guy without the bodyguard guess what happens? Darryl Davis ends up in his home with him, having dinner with him and his family. Guess what happens? This guy starts to have dinner with Darryl Davis and his family. After five years, guess what happens? Darryl Davis gets a knock on the door by the sky and he says, I just want to tell you, I've quit the Ku Klux Klan. And he said, not only that, but my last act of grand bar of the chapter of this city, whatever they call themselves, is I shut the whole chapter down. Daryl Davis said, why did you do that? Guess what he said? Because I got to know you. Because I got to know you. It is believed up till now that Daryl Davis has been influential in over 200-plus people leaving the Ku Klux Klan, simply because he got to know them. What he does now, he got on to um, um, Barack. Barack, uh, The White House brought him in for a while to talk about racism. He now goes around universities and those sorts of places and particularly talks to young people um, who have been risen who have been raised in in a kind of Ku Klux Klan environment. They've come to university and colleges and they've realised the world's a slightly different place. And in particular, where they're getting cross-ethnic relationships going on and how do they deal with that. And so he's spending a lot of his time just working with people, doing those sorts of stuff. He just gets to know them. Has he got a book? Yep. okay, we'll keep going and then we'll talk about that at the end. Strength and courage. I can't imagine anything more strong and courageous than that. Just because he got to know him. Just because. Strength and courage. You know, as I was listening to the story, oh, in the interview they said to him, okay, Daryl, what's your secret? He says this, all I do is I get to know them. And I allow them to get to know me. He said, never once do I go on the attack against the Ku Klux Klan. Never does he talk against their involvement in the Ku Klux Klan. Not once. I never label them. I never judge them. I listened and I endeavored to build a relationship. And then he says this, and it takes an incredible amount of time that's strength and courage. As I thought about this, I thought, man, we have so many evangelistic techniques in the life of the church, and I support things like Alpha, I support things like Easter camps, I support things like all these sorts of stuff, and we do so many things, and often we sit in the church and we say, we need to do something. I reckon the most powerful thing that you and I can do to see people come into the kingdom is allow people who don't know Jesus to get to know you. And guess what? It'll take time. It'll take effort. You know, so much we want to meet people and we want to make sure we, and within five, five minutes, if we hear they don't like the church or don't believe in God, we want to correct them straight away don't we? We might hear a kind of truth that we think, man, if you follow that truth, you're going to end up in hell somewhere, which they may do. But why do we have to address that straight away? Why don't we just get to know people, allow them to get to know us and start to see Christ through us? I'm not sure whether Davis knew Romans 12. Um, have a look at Romans 12 sometimes. I'm not going to read it, but this is what Romans 12 says in a, in a bullet point. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do not be haughty or proud or arrogant or think you have all the answers, but live peaceable with each other, extend hospitality to to others and to strangers. I sum it up this way. Get to know your neighbors over the fence and allow them to see your life. Allow them to view your life. I want to finish with this passage of Scripture here. Psalm 23 verses 4 to 6. Probably the last time you heard Psalm 23 versus Psalm 23 was at another funeral. My theory is this. If you're dead, you don't need Psalm 23. If you're dead in the Lord, you don't need Psalm 23. The only people who need Psalm 23 are the living. And the younger you are, the more you need it. Psalm 23 is a psalm for the living. It's a psalm for the everydayness of life. We need to resurrect it and share it at weddings rather than funerals. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, which in this case is your fears. As they were sitting in that motel room, Darryl Davis felt fear. He was talking to the guy early on and there was this noise. The noise was this. Anyone here know rifles or hunting or anything like that? Anyone? I I do. You can forgive me after. Anyway, he heard they hear this noise, and everyone froze in the room. Daryl Davis thought the guy in front of him, with couldn't see his hands, just loaded a rifle, a gun, a, a pistol. They looked across. He looked across at the at the bodyguard, and the bodyguard tightened his tightened his finger on the on the machine gun that he was. And there was this tension in the air. He really felt that the guy thought that Daryl Davis had a gun. And this noise did again. And everyone was kind of freezing, thinking, fear, overran all of them. they thought, ah, this is the end. And the secretary behind them on the bed cracked up laughing. She said, guys, guys, it's okay. It's just the ice melting in the cooler bucket." Daryl Davis, a bit of a pun, says from that point on the ice was broken and we were all set. I fear no evil. So he went through a dark valley. I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with you. He is always around you, always beside you, always leading you, always following you. And I want to say this. If you have decided to make a strong and courageous step and allow people a person who doesn't know Jesus for you to get to know them and them to get to know you i guarantee you that god is with you i can i say this i'd lay money on it that god is with you because i reckon that's what christ wants us to do to get to know people you prepare a table before me you know it's lovely to hear that you're having, you've had pizzas, you've had, you got brunch coming up. You know, open your table. Get your table in your home working as a table again. Invite people around. Allow them to come in and view your life. And don't feel as though they've got to become a follower of Jesus in half an hour after you've met them. It's probably not going to happen. But allow hospitality to reign and generosity of spirit to reign, and allow people to get to know you. Be strong and courageous. And guess what? At the end of Psalm, it says this And what will follow you? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of your life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is mission, this is sharing. This is being yourself. This is listening. This is allowing God to do his work through you. Guess what? We think we have to defend God. Believe me, God has done a better job at defending himself since the beginning of time than you ever will. And he'll continue to defend himself. He's the best defender of himself All he needs you to do is to be strong and courageous and sit in the environment that God will defend himself. All I have to do is to allow to be a catalyst of his grace and mercy to those around me. What a strategy. What a mission. What courage. You reckon we could do that? Sounds easy. But it could be tough. Let's stand together and let me pray with you. Lord, I pray, I thank you for the people that are sitting in here, that are standing now in here, Lord, who are already strong and courageous. And I pray that you would give them more strength and courage. I pray for those people who may be lacking a slight bit of strong and courageous. The the inclination is there, but the ability to take that step, Lord, empower them, fill them with your spirit. Fill them with your spirit. Lord, I pray for those people who feel obligated to feel like they have to defend you and get a spiritual conversation going within 10 minutes of meeting with someone. Lord, I pray for gentleness and the ability for them to constantly listen and to be aware of your spirit. Lord, I pray for those people who, who do get to know people but lack a little bit of boldness to perhaps talk about their relationship with you. Give them strength to do that. And in all in all, may Huntley Baptist Church be a church that is known for getting to know people. I pray that you would empower them with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com